This is City Post Church. We're about three things. Build, equip, and send. All under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. A small church plant in Fort Worth, Texas. Who decided to do things a little differently. Adoramos a Jesucristo. I love City Post because of the people. It's where I belong. We truly preach the word. I love City Post because of the community we've been able to build. To do ministry like Jesus, for light to push back darkness. This is City Post Podcast. You guys have your Bibles. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews this morning. Hebrews. We know that God likes coffee. I had, I had to do it. I had to do it. I know everybody was thinking it. I had to do it. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 1. And uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5 today. And um, we're about to kick off a series uh, called Who is Jesus? And... Um, I just think this is one of those really important topics uh, because we live in a culture uh, where I was looking at some some statistics and the Pew Research says that over 80% of people that live in the United States believe that there is a God. But 56% of those people believe in the God of the Bible. And that number continues to shrink when you say, what about Jesus? And that number keeps dipping lower and lower. So we live in a culture where people are growing up and we're going to church and we're going on mission trips and we're getting baptized and we're serving in the church and we're becoming deacons and we're going to seminary and we're leading small groups. But if you don't know who Jesus is and you don't have a a good understanding or a good grasp of what he came to do, the cross, the burial, the resurrection, all of those pieces of our theology, if you don't get it, you can't get Jesus wrong and God right. Because Jesus is God. So, so we have a culture that's growing up in all of these things in the church. Come on, man. We live in North Texas. Everybody goes to church. It's just part of it's what you do. It's part of the culture. But since so many people are leaving the faith... Because inside of the church, somebody hurt their feelings. And it's like, well, like this guy, like, uh, you see these, like, deconstruction videos of, like, yeah, I was going to church, I was serving, and then this guy hurt my feelings, and now Jesus is fake. I was like, what is that? I was like, bro, like, you never had him in the first place. If, it, if that's all it's going to take for you to, to, like, fall away from the faith, you don't know and you don't understand who Jesus is. Is. So what we're going to look at today is, is that we're going to start this climb of who Jesus is. And every Sunday in December, we're going to tackle a text that talks about the humanity of Christ, the deity of Christ, um, like who he really is. And it's going to be impactful because I know it's already blessed my life. So let's look at the first. We're just going to look at five verses today and then we'll be done. So uh, let's look at Hebrews chapter one. And I'm just going to read verses 1 through 5. It says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory 
and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of he- in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited in superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father? Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. So let me pray for us and then we're going to dive into Hebrews. Father, we love you and we pray that you uh, bless this time together. Speak to us through your word. Lord, help me to collect my thoughts, Lord, and that everything that come out of my mouth, Lord, just be of you and not of myself. So Jesus, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray all these things. Amen. So let's go ahead. So before we dive into the text, um, I want to give a little bit of background in the book of Hebrews. So we don't really know um, who wrote it. A lot of scholars believe that Hebrews was written by the Apostle Paul, um, but some also believe that it was, he was written by um, Luke, the disciple Luke. And the purpose of the book of Hebrews is to encourage and exhort the Jewish believers of that time. Because what's happening is that these guys are coming to know Christ, but they're starting to fall away from the faith. And they're going back into legalism or they're just being lazy. They're just, just, just being lazy about things. So the book of Hebrews is targeted to the Jewish believers of this time. And you're going to look at words. There's going to be consistent wording in the book of Hebrews, like the words better. Better shows up 11 times in the book. Superior shows up four times. And greater shows up seven times. And the whole gist of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than everything that you put your priorities in. Jesus is better than all your traditions. Jesus is better than all the sacrifices. I'll just give you a quick cliff notes on the book of Hebrews. In, in, in chapter 1, we're going to see that Jesus is better than the prophets. Chapter 2, he's better than the angels. Chapter 3, he's better than Moses. Chapter 4, better than Joshua. Chapter 5 through 9, he's better than all the high priests. Chapter 9, it gets a little crazy. He's better than the tabernacle. You know, Jesus is better than the building that we meet in, right? I'm just throwing that out there. And then also, in, the last, in chapter 10, Jesus is better than the law and the sacrifices of all of Scripture. And then he ends through 13 where he exhorts and he just encourages the believers to continue. Like what Stephen was talking about, to meet together, to be together, to, to pour into one another. And don't forget that Jesus is better. Why is this so hard? Because a lot of these guys, especially in the Jewish culture, they're coming out of a really strong legalistic and traditional um, background. So all of that is kind of pulling them back into, into like those, those traditions. So if you grow up every day for years and years in traditions and in history, and in stuff that your family taught you, when you meet Jesus, everything changes. And some of you guys have have experienced this, where like Jesus changed your hearts, he changed your lives, but yet like there's family members that are pulling you back to like those traditions. And then the argument is that if you don't do this, then you're like kind of pushing not just against our family name, but also the family culture. I would even say also the identity culture. 
Like, man, you're Mexican. You're supposed to be in Catholicism. So now all of a sudden, Jesus opens my eyes. It's like, man, no, it's, it's about a relationship with him. It has nothing to do with legalistic or, or things that I'm supposed to do. And then the family pushes back, and they're like, wait a second. How dare you? And then our response needs to be, Jesus is better. He's better than all that stuff. And one day, my prayer is that you experience the same thing that I did, which is heart transformation. So what, why is this so difficult? Because I want you to understand the Jewish culture. Because they're going from law to grace. You're going from sacrifices to the sacrifice. You're going from sacrificing lambs, plural, to the Lamb of God. You're going from activity-based faith to a relational-based faith. And this could be kind of difficult. Because now it's no longer about systems, it's all about the Savior. And that is rocking people's worlds. So you have people that came to know Christ, they're in the faith, but there's something that continues to pull back. And the author of Hebrews wants them to know that Jesus is better than all of these things. So some of the Jewish folks, they've held some, some, they've had pride in a lot of their things, like the temples and the laws and the sacrifices and the buildings they would meet in. But you see, the thing is, none of those sources you find your salvation in. Salvation is only found in one, and his name is Christ. Now, why do I say all this? Because many of us are listening to this, and you're like, yeah, man, those Jewish people, man, they... They don't, I don't understand. Why wouldn't you? I was like, we do the same thing. We go through the same thing. We are following Christ has called us. We're following Christ. But we do have some pulls toward the world. We do have some pulls toward our culture, our religion, our family that do not line up biblically. But somehow we want to kind of go back sometimes. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus is better. And the more you know Jesus, man, when you see who Jesus is, it's going to change your life like it has mine. So let's jump in. First, look at verse 1. Man, we could just do the whole hour or the whole time in verse 1 and verse 2. So starting in verse 1, it says, In the past God spoke to the ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Verse 2, But in the last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. So back in the Old Testament, back in those times, God used prophets. We've been studying about this in, on our first Wednesdays. The major prophets and the minor prophets. God would speak to a prophet, and the prophet's job was to take what he heard from the Lord and speak it out and be a bullhorn to the people of God. And most of the messaging was, y'all are jacking it up. You need to repent. Stop worshiping other gods. You need to repent. God's going to turn away from you. You better repent. That was kind of the main message of the prophets. So what the author is saying is like back in the day, God used prophets to speak to his people. And how did he do it? Look what verse 1 says. He did it in two ways. He did it many times and he did it in many ways. Look at the times. He, he did this over a span of 1,800 years, starting with the book of Job, the prophet Job. Job started in 2200 B.C., leading all the way up to Nehemiah which is a 400 B.C. The Old Testament was written in 39 different books reflecting different historical times, locations, 
cultures and situations. And for some weird way, it all added up. It's all the same. So not just times, but also how in different ways. God used visions. He used symbols, parables. He used events. We, we see wisdom literature. We see poetry in, in the Old Testament. God used all of these ways. And the law and the prophets all came to a head and all peaked when Jesus appeared on the scene. Remember, Christ even said, he's like, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. So immediately the author is like, man, listen, God used to speak to us through this, these means. He used these prophets. Prophets are not bad. They're good. They serve the purpose. But guess what? Jesus is better than all of these prophets. Even if you look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. A.K.A., they didn't just make this stuff up. It all came by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 2. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets through human spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit's what spoke into the prophets to say. And what, what we're seeing now, when Jesus shows up, the prophets had a word of God, but Jesus shows up and he's like, I am the word. We see that in John chapter 1. He said, the word became flesh and he dwelt amongst the people. So Jesus shows up. He's like, I know y'all been listening to this word, but guess what? I am that word. So I'm the one that's to, and we even see this in John, um, just to paraphrase John chapter 12, verse 49. Jesus is talking. He's like, man, I am so tuned in with the Father that I don't say anything that he doesn't tell me to say. I don't do anything that he doesn't tell me to do. I am so in line with God that I only say what he says and I only do what he tells me to do. He even tells, he's like, you want to see what God looks like? Look at me. I'm the one. See, Jesus is the personification of the word of God. He shows up on the scene, and now he's showing everybody this is what the word is. You know, I love when people tell me about the Bible, and we talk about, like, the Bible. How in the world is the Bible, like, how can the Bible line up? Because isn't it like the game of telephone? Where if I tell somebody something, and then they tell somebody something, and they tell somebody something, like, doesn't it change in all of, in 1,800 years? Wouldn't it change? And my response is, you know what? If you're going to use that example, let's use it completely. It's not just a game of telephone. You also have to translate the Bible in three different languages. Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. So make sure that in 1,800 years you play telephone, not just in Hebrew, but also do it in Aramaic and also do it in Greek. And for some reason, it all lines up. And for some reason, it's all the same. How does that happen? It's impossible. It happens because it is driven by the Holy Spirit. God is the one that wrote this, not us. So what Peter is showing us that in, in, in like the, the prophets received the word from the Holy Spirit and they were the ones saying it. Jesus shows up on the scene and he's like, no, I am the word. And for some reason, I show up. I start my ministry in 30 A.D., and for some reason, I'm fulfilling all these messianic prophecies that were 1,800 years ago. 
It all lines up because Jesus is the word. And because Jesus is better than the prophets. The verse 2, but in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. This is what we talked about. Now, he's going to transition. He's going he's to say, why? Right? So look what he says. Whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. So Jesus is not just better than the prophets, but now he's saying Jesus is creator. He's the one that created everything. He's the one that created. He was there when God created the world. You see, we call this the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're co-equal. They're co-eternal. They coexist. Jesus is entrusted, and he created um, the universe. He was there from the beginning of creation. Genesis 1 says when God created the heavens and the earth, you know when that, when, when that happened? Jesus was there. When God flooded the world, Jesus was there. When Moses led the people out of the Red Sea, out of Egypt, Jesus was there. Everything in the Old Testament scriptures, Jesus was present. So many people were like, well, like Jesus never talked about that. He didn't have to. He created it. Jesus is not just creator. He's also sustainer of all things. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 17 The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together." Everything is under the control and the rule of, and reign of Jesus Christ. He created it all. Time, space, energy, matter. The entire universe is created and sustained with Jesus. That is pretty impressive. So Jesus is the one that's holding it all together. You know, there's something um, in science... You know, where you have protons and neutrons, and, and you know, like, two positives kind of retract each other. Have you ever taken two magnets and tried to rub them together? They, they won't go. But if you look in atoms, for some weird reason, it all works. And scientists call this atomic glue, where they explain how that manages that even positives are able to mesh together. And I feel like, like yeah, the atomic glue is Jesus. He's the one that's holding everything together. And there's going to come a time where we see in the book of Revelation where he doesn't hold it together anymore. And it all explodes and a new in heaven and a new earth are going to come. And that's a whole other sermon. So really the Big Bang Theory comes at the end, not the beginning. I'm just saying. All right. So. All right. Look at verse three. We got to keep walking. Um, the son is the. So he talks about Jesus is the, the um, creator. He's the sustainer. He's better than the prophets. Now he's going to talk about how Jesus is divine. Look at verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. This is a pretty impressive text here. 
So what we're looking at here, what the, what the author wants us to know is that Jesus is the, the radiance of God's glory. So this meaning here is not reflection. I know when you see this, it's like Jesus is not reflecting God's glory. No, he is giving God's glory. It's who he is. It's, he's radiating the, the um, essence of God's glory. In the Bible, we call this Shekinah uh, glory or Shekinah praise. If it's hard for you to remember, just think like, man, like, like Rachel came, like Rachel got dressed for church, and I was like, she kind of looked good, right? <laughs> so just kind of think of it like that. Like for some of y'all, it's like from far away, she kind of looked good, but up close, she kind of looked bad. I mean, like just think like Shekinah in that row, in, in that route. Right? So when you think of God's glory, no, I'm saying, um, but that is the Hebrew word. So what, that's the word that is used by the author of Hebrews in this text, that God is this, that Jesus is the Shekinah glory. Like it is radiating the glory of God. It's not reflecting. But then we also see another word in the Greek called karakter. Karakter is, is pretty much kind of like the word character in our, um, in, in like our language. You want to go ahead and put that up there, um, character. It, it's, it's like spelled with a K instead of a, a, a C. And really what this means is that this is a stamp or an impression of the image of God. So what he's saying, he's not just the radiance of God, he's also... A representation. He's a stamp. He's an imprint. It's like if you're walking on the sand and you take a footstep on the beach, when you look back, you're going to look at the imprint of your foot. Everybody, um, go ahead and take out your phones. Everybody take out your phones if you can. If you don't, it's okay. If you have your phone available, go ahead and take it out. So what I would like for you to do is I would like for you, with your phone, go ahead and take a selfie of yourself, not of your neighbor, not of your cousin. Just go ahead and take a selfie. If y'all don't know how to do it, just ask the young person next to you. They'll, they'll, they'll show you. Take a selfie. Go ahead. Just take a selfie. Awesome. All right. Wonderful. Everybody get that selfie. I see some of you all getting the angles. Don't get the double chin in, right? It's a lion, right? You're a lion. Like, this is going to be my Tinder profile. All right, no, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> you're like, what? All right, so what I would like for you to do is the selfie that you took on your phone, look at the per go to the person next to you or behind you, and let them know who this person is. So just go ahead and tell them. Go ahead, yeah. You was kind. All right, so what? <laughs> some of y'all still looking at it for filters, like y'all chill out. So what you've done is you've taken a picture of yourself, and the way that you've explained it is like, hey, this is me. Now you don't say you're you don't talk like the rock in third person. The rock says that this is the rock. No, like you, you're like. Hey, th this is me. This is who I am. This is a picture of what I look like. 
You see, so well, when we see that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, what God is telling the world is like, hey, this is me. Like, this is my selfie. And, and I sent Jesus to walk on this earth to show them a character, a Shekinah, like an imprint of what I look like. Jesus is God's image to us and to the world. Like, it's an incredible thing. So what we see here is that he, sell, he tells us, he's like, man, he is the radiance of God. Not just the radiance of God. He is the imprint of God. He is the exact representation of who God is. And he's able to sustain everything by the power of his word. That's wild. When God speaks, it creates. It happens. When Jesus speaks, it happens. Your sins are forgiven. It happens. You're healed. It happens. That's the kind of God we have. So he is the power of God. He is the imprint of God that we get to see. And then he says, after he had provided purification for sins, he's also the Messiah. He's also the Savior of the world. He's the only one that was able to provide the purification of sin. He's the propitiation he is the only one that was able to suffice God's wrath on our lives due sin. Jesus is it. He is the only one that can do it. And, and how do we know that he's the only one that's able to do it? Look at the verses. In verse 4, or I mean verse 3, he sat down. Where did he sit down? On the right hand of God. Why does the author of Hebrews tell us that he sat down? Because when you sit down, that means the work is done. He's like, I'm done. There's nothing else for you to do. There's nothing else for me to do. I went to the cross. I took on sin. I'm victorious. I rose from the dead. I'm going to sit down right here. Not just, where he, not just the act of sitting down means that he's done, but the location. Where is he sitting down? At the right hand of God, meaning that he is equal to God. Jesus is God. And he's showing us, he said it on the right hand, of the majesty in heaven. He's letting everybody here know who Jesus is and understand who you're dealing with. Now we're going to get into a difference. The, Hebrew, the author of Hebrews set this up because he's saying, look, he's divine. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He's the only one that could provide um, the penalty of sin. He's the only one that could take it. He's the only one that is sitting down at the right hand of God. And for that reason, he's also better than all the other angels. Now, for some of us who are like, well, Ricky, that makes sense. But the whole idea of Jesus is better than angels jostles and it pushes back on some of us. Look what it says in verse 4. So he began... I'm sorry, he became, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Jesus is not on the same playing field as angels are. And I need for us to understand this. When somebody sees, no, Jesus is not an angel. Jesus commands the angels. Angels worship Christ. There's a passage, Revelation 19.10, 
where John, he's looking at like the throne room, he's in heaven, and he sees an angel, and John bows down to the angels, and the angel looks at him and says, no, no, don't worship me. You worship God. Why is this so important? Because in the Jewish culture, they, they held angels in very high regard, very high esteem. You know, when, when, I, when I was looking into this, there's actually other religions that do the same thing. When you look at Mormonism, Mormonism, they believe, and I was looking, you can, leave, you can look at their website, go Google it. Mormonism, they believe that Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer. They believe that, they teach that Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer, but Lucifer went wrong and Jesus went right. And that Jesus is good and Lucifer is bad and God is angry with Lucifer, but God exalted Jesus because he did good. Now, Mormons are awesome neighbors to have. They will cut your grass. They love serving. They love doing great things. They're peaceful. But their theology is wrong. And if you have a cousin or if you have somebody that's into that, like, I'm not coming at you. Like, I'm not trying to, like, out. Like, man, like, my heart goes out. But you need to understand Jesus is more than angels. He's better than angels. Jehovah Witnesses, they believe that Jesus is the archangel Michael. Exactly. No, he's not. That he is, he is the pre-human existence. Then after his resurrection, he returned to heaven. And then he resumed his role as the archangel Michael and, and so forth. No, that's a bunch of junk. That's a bunch of crap. That, that's, not, that's not even biblical. So there's people out there who look at Jesus and they say, like, he's aligned with the angels. Now, some of us, like, I'm, I'm going to push a little bit because let me ask you, like, who do you pray to when something is not working? What do you do? Who do you have hanging in your house? What, what little statues do you have in your rooms that you hope might help you out? How many candles do you light so that we have a safe trip? Jesus is better than all that. He's not even on the same playing field. Jesus is better than Mary. Jesus is better than his own mom. And some reason we give so much attention to angels and the prophets and all that stuff. And you're missing the point. Jesus is better. None of them are able to sit at the right hand of God. None of them were able to forgive sin. And none of them created the universe and, and is able to sustain it. So, yes, those things are good. Don't get me wrong. Angels are good. God created angels. Angels help us. The Bible has over 300 references to angels. Angels are good, but angels are not Jesus. Jesus is separated from that. And why is he separated? Because, look what verse 4 says, as much superior to the angels as his name only Jesus has the name that is able to save. And we go on about his name. But angels were the ones that were rejoicing about Jesus when he was born. And then look at verse 5. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be your father and he will be my son. See, what the author of Hebrews is doing here is that he's quoting Old Testament scripture. So in this passage, you have um, Psalms 2, verse 7, and then you have Sam, 2 Samuel 
uh, chapter 7, verse 14. So what he's doing is that the author, he's showing a unique relationship that the son has with the father. And he's saying there ain't no angels in the universe. There's no angels in the world that go to God and call him dad. And there's no angels in the world and there's no angels in the universe where God looks at them and calls them son. That's, that's only with Jesus. Jesus is better than the angels. The son is greater than the angels because God had made him to be heir of all things. Angels are not that. Man, so what I want to do as, as we wrap things up, I want to leave us with a few phrases to help us remember today. And hopefully the first one is Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Man, tattoo that on your rib cage. Man, write that down. Put that on something to help you remember that when everything comes, Jesus is better. But also, what I want to, point number one I want to show is good is the enemy of best. Good is the enemy of best. You see, all the things that the Jewish believers had and everything that they had pride in and everything that they were excited about, it was good. Their history, it was good. The temples, the sacrifices, those things were good. But they weren't the best. And then Jesus shows up on the scene and says, no, I'm best. And I started thinking, like, man, how does this impact us? Because for many of us, we settle for what's good and we ignore what's best. And it's not, and I'm talking more outside, not just the spiritual, but also the material, also the physical. Like, think about life. We, in life, we always thrive. We always go for what is good. And I think some of us are excited and we're good at settling there. Because we don't know what's best. We're okay with being good. Think about it. Like having a job that pays bills is good. I put food on the table for my family. That's good. But you know what best is? Having a job where you find purpose in, that you're excited to go to work, that you don't see it as work, that it doesn't bother you, and you still get to pay bills and put food on the table. That's best. That's what God has for you. And for some of us, listen, it's not about the financial gain. It's about the purpose. Listen, best is not always a lot of money. Best is following God and what he has for you. So that way you wake up and you're able to serve him to your full potential and your full capacity at all times. And when you're going to find Jesus there, you're going to find what's best. For some of us, think about it. For some of us, relationships. We're good with having somebody to hang out with. We're good with going on dates with people. We're good with, like, holding hands. We're good in being in relationships. But you know what best is? Best is you relying on God to send you that person, you running as fast as you can to Jesus, and then looking next to you, and that person is keeping up. You serving the Lord together in that relationship that's best. And some of us settle for what's good because we think that's all we're capable of. And God is saying no, because if you know Christ, then you're going to know what's best. 
And the reason I say this, I want you to be careful. I want to be careful here because contentment is not complacency. There's a difference there. Good is complacency. Contentment could be best because what contentment says is I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to be obedient to him. And whatever comes out of that, I'm content because I have Christ. What complacency says is I'm only going to do what's good because that's all I know. So don't stretch me. Don't ask me to do any more than I'm supposed to do. Let me just check off the box so that way I'm comfortable and I get my sleep and nothing is stirred up in me. Like, let me make sure I don't step out in faith. You see, that's complacency. And you're missing out on what's best because you're complacent in life. And the reason I bring this up, because complacency trickles up, but it also trickles down. And for many of us that that are following Jesus, you're complacent. And it's not your fault. I want you to hear that. It's not your fault. Because there's been people in your life that have been so focused on good and has so given you the vision of only do what's good, and if you do good, you're just happy, that, that this is what you, all you know. And what Jesus is saying is like, I'm better than all that stuff. I'm the best. And when you start seeing Jesus in everything, you're not going to be complacent anymore. You're going to want to do what's best, and that's going to trickle up, and it's also going to trickle down to your families. As a dad, this is something I always talk about. I want my kids. I don't want my kids to see me on the couch all the time. If all Livy and Elena do is see data on his laptop and on his phone, they're going to grow up thinking that is what life looks like. That's what a husband is. That's what a man looks like. And then when they get older, they're going to think that it is good for their Guy, which I'm praying for, not until they're older, right? Not until they go to college twice. That's what me and Rachel said, right? That the man that God gives them is best and that they don't settle for good. And because I want the best for them, that means that my life has to look like the best. I need to show them, like, this is it. You're tired, so what? You take a nap when you get home. We got to go work. We got to go do things. You got to show the example because it trickles up and it trickles down. And it also shows us in the relationship that we have with Jesus. Because if you don't understand that Jesus is best, you're never going to seek out the best for your life. And the best for your life is being in true obedience to Christ. He just gave us this. He's the one that holds the universe together. He's the only one that could give you forgiveness. Jesus is best. But good is the enemy of best. So we got to be careful not to grab onto the good because we're used to that. We say, Lord, I'm going to let go of good. I'm going to grab onto you because you're best. And I'm terrified right now. I'm freaking out. I'm sweating. I'm scared. But I'm going to let go. And I'm just going to grab onto you because you're the best. And some of us have got to step into that. All right, I got to go. Number two, salvation is the result of surrender. Salvation is the result of surrender. So we know that Jesus is best. We know he's better than angels, the prophets. He's divine, all those things. But we also know because he's sitting at the right hand of God, which was we saw in verse 3 and 4, he's, he's sitting on the right hand of God. That means that he, the work is done. That means that you don't have to do any work. 
All you have to do is surrender. That's hard. Some of you guys, I like to say, have that bone thugs in harmony. Me no surrender. Right? I mean, like, that's a, grew up in the 90s, you know. Me no surrender. Right? East 999. Right, anyway. But we have this mentality of, like, I'm not surrendering to nothing. I'm a man. I'm prideful. Like, I'm not quitting. I'm not surrendering. <clears throat> but Jesus says, if you want the best, you want salvation, you surrender. You've got to surrender to him. You've got to get to a place in your life where you're just like this, where you're like, I got nothing else. I'm surrendering to you. I'm surrendering to your lordship, to your divine nature. I'm surrendering because you are the one that sustains. You're the one that holds. And then the last thing is worship is the response to redemption. You know, it's interesting because we get to a place in our lives where we want what's best. God, Jesus wants what's best for you too. And what's best for you is not materialistic things, it's not careers. No, what's best is you living in his will and in his promise. That's what's best. And you can't get there if you don't surrender. And for some of us, it's going to take us getting here. Like this. It's going to take you guys to get so low in your life to get to a place where you're like, I got nothing else. My life is in shambles. I need to surrender. And what God does is that he takes it, the creator of the universe, because of who Jesus is. He is able to take your sin. He's able to restore your heart. He's able to pour grace on top of you. So you're redeemed now. And my only response from this is to go to this. Because if I'm redeemed, I'm like, oh, hold on a second. He, he saved me. He gave me a new life. He didn't even care that I was a drug addict. He didn't even care, like, all the crap I did. He still uses me? My only response is, thank you, God. That's it. It's not money. It's not tithing. It, no, your only response is, Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you. So I pray today as we close that if that's you, understand that Jesus is better. He wants what's best. He's able to do it. And when he does, your only response is going to be worship. Let me pray for us. Father, I love you, and I thank you so much for all that you, you've given us. Lord, I pray that you help us to see that you are better, that you are what's best in our lives. Lord, help us to turn to you. Lord, help us to, to just be in your presence. Help us to, to worship, Father. And Lord, thank you because you are faithful, good, and we thank you because you have always, even when we have turned from you, you have always been faithful. So Lord, help us to recognize that you're better. In your name we pray all these things. Amen. Let's worship together.